favorite Christmas songs? Maybe you like this one right here. Listen to this one. Anybody? That's a classic, isn't it? What, what about this one here? Nothing says Christmas like uh, Bing Crosby, right? White Christmas. How about this one here? Here's another familiar voice. You sing duet with Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Jack Frost nipping at your nose. All right, let's jazz it up a little bit with this last one. How many of y'all like this last song here? No, our praise band does. <laughs> jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell rock. Jingle bells swing and jingle bells ring. Snowing and blowing up bushels of that's a good one, isn't it? There's a lot of great Christmas songs out there, aren't there? Well, this morning and for the next week, we're going to look at two of the great Christmas songs from the Bible. And these may be songs that you've read through a time or two, or uh, you know, songs maybe that you've even studied at one time or another, or maybe you've never read them at all. But I guarantee you that none of you in here will hear these songs sung on the radio this time of year. But they are truly beautiful and glorious and worshipful songs sung by the mother of Jesus and by the father of John the Baptist. This morning we turn our focus to Mary's song. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 1. We are uh, continuing our sermon series entitled Luke's Christmas Story. And for the next five weeks, we started last week, we're going to be looking through, uh, uh, studying through Luke chapter 1 and the first part of Luke chapter 2. This morning, we're going to tackle a large passage of Scripture. So buckle up, get ready. We're going to be looking at verses 26 through 56 this morning. So 30 verses. And uh, this passage that we're going to look at, these passages cover three separate events we're going to look at. First, you have Gabriel appearing to Mary to tell her about Jesus. And then you have Mary's visit to her cousin Elizabeth. And lastly, you have Mary's song, which is our main focus this morning. But before we get there, we need to begin with Mary's encounter with the angel Gabriel so that we can understand what prompted her to say what she did in verses 46 through 55. So let's first focus on Mary's reason for this song. First reason is because she has an unlikely encounter. She has an unlikely encounter. Look at verses 26 and 27. 
In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Sounds similar to last week's story, doesn't it? With a few key differences. This time, instead of appearing to an old man, Gabriel goes to a young woman. And instead of appearing to a priest in the temple of Jerusalem, he goes to a betrothed virgin in a lowly city called Nazareth. And this time, instead of giving news about the coming of the messenger of the Messiah, Gabriel is going to tell of the coming of the Messiah. So some major differences in these two accounts, but one important similarity is that Mary, like Zechariah, was an unlikely person. Remember we said last week that Zechariah was an unlikely person and we talked about how the Christmas story is an unlikely story and we see that here. And remember, we talked about last week that before Gabriel had appeared to Zechariah, he had not appeared to anyone since Daniel. And when he appears to this great prophet Daniel, he tells of the coming of the anointed one, the coming of the Messiah. And then hundreds of years pass until the fulfillment of this prophecy when he appears to this lowly priest and then to this young inexperienced, insignificant, and unimportant woman named Mary. And the fact that she's from Nazareth, folks, is also very shocking. Nazareth was a spot on the map. It was Hicktown. It was the, the radiator springs of the Middle East, for those of you Cars fans in here. You know what I'm talking about. I'm from Arkansas, and there are a lot of towns like that there. And I can say that because I'm an Arkansan. So if you're an Arkansan, you know, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? And uh, uh, one town in particular is called Mark Tree, Arkansas. Anybody ever heard of Mark Tree, Arkansas? Anybody from there? I need to know if it's okay to use this illustration. Okay, nobody, good. All right. This would be like someone saying the most powerful world leader the world has ever known is going to come out of Mark Tree, Arkansas. This is how unlikely a person and unlikely a place this was. Well-known pastor and author Dr. Kent Hughes said this of the situation. Look at this quote. He says, Mary was a nobody from a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. That about sums it up right there. And this is the first reason Mary is worshipful. She is worshipful because of this unlikely encounter. She is an unlikely person and she has this unlikely encounter. The second reason is because she has shown divine favor. Look at verse 28 through 33. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. See, she knew she was unlikely. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. 
and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Wow. What a message. Put yourself in Mary's sandals for a moment. This well-known angel that she has been reading about from the, from the scriptures since she was young appears to her. And he says, you are going to be the mother of the Messiah. He says, in your womb is Jesus, the great one, the son of the most high, the king of all kings. Mary was shown great favor by God. Notice Gabriel says, greetings, O favored one. Then he says, you have found favor with God. Folks, Mary was like everyone else. To our teenage girls in here, Mary was around your age. No different than you are. There was nothing special about her. She was fallen, a sinner, born and raised by sinners in need of a Savior. She is shown unmerited, undeserved favor by God. I'd say that's a reason for worship, wouldn't you? So she has this unlikely encounter. She's shown divine favor. The third reason for Mary's praise-filled response is she learns of a marvelous mystery. Look at verses 34 through 36. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. So notice here, Mary responds to this news like any rational person would. Her response is, how? How's this going to happen? I don't understand. I'm a virgin. How am I going to have a baby? And I love Gabriel's response down in verse 37, don't you? He says, nothing will be impossible with God. He says, Mary, you're, you're thinking of man's inability, not God's capability. He says, you don't know it yet, but your relative Elizabeth, who was barren, he says, she has conceived in her old age. And that was a work of God. And he says, and this will be as well. He says, God's going to do this miraculous work. He is going to cause you to conceive while remaining a virgin. Though I know Mary didn't understand the ins and outs of how God was going to bring this all about. Notice, she believed. She believed. Folks, there's a lot we can learn from Mary here, right? Believers, do you realize there are a lot of mysteries about God in the Scriptures? The Trinity is a mystery. The Incarnation, Jesus being fully God, fully man, mystery. God's sovereignty, man's responsibility, mystery. And though people try and explain these truths using man-made images and illustrations and using human logic, they often miss it by a mile. They veer off into heresy 
There are mysterious things about God. Mysteries that don't go against our, our understanding. They don't go against logic. They just go beyond our logic, beyond our reasoning. But that should not discourage us. Didn't discourage Mary. She believed. She trusted. She worshipped God for the great work that he was going to do, even though she didn't understand all the ins and outs of it. That should be true of us. I mean, think about it. Shouldn't an infinite, eternal, all-knowing, sovereign, all-powerful, ever-present God be beyond us? Shouldn't he? Shouldn't we be glad to know that we serve a God who is above and beyond us? Do you really want a God that you can explain completely and fully to a preschooler? It's not a very big God, is it? That's not the God we serve. Sometimes when my girls are wrestling with with the, the truths about God, him being three persons, but one God, one in essence God, they wrestle with that, and I let them. I don't pull out an egg or any other try, kind of uh, illustration and, and, and because those illustrations really don't get at the Trinity anyways. There's nothing we can point to in this life and say the Trinity's exactly like that. It's mysterious. It goes beyond our reasoning. But we, I, I want our girls to, to wrestle with these things. I want them to know God is beyond us. Yet we should still believe and trust and follow him no matter what. And Mary does that. Now our God, the one true God of the scriptures, he is a God that we can know. He is a God who has revealed himself to us. All that we need to know about him. But he's also a God we cannot completely or fully know because he's God and we're not. He's infinite and we're finite. And the fact that God is above and beyond us and mysterious in ways, listen, this should lead us to worship. It led Mary to worship. It should lead us to worship. So these are some of the reasons Mary responded the way that she did. Now let's break down her response. What exactly does Mary do when she receives this news? First notice this. She responds with humility. Look at verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, throughout Scripture, God's announcement of special children to be born has been met with various responses, hasn't it? Remember Sarah, Abraham's wife, when told about Isaac, what does she do? She laughs, right? Zechariah, when told about his special son, he doubted. But Mary believed, and she committed herself to the Lord. She said, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Now, let me tell you, there was some great risk involved in Mary being willing to bear this child without having been with her soon-to-be husband, Joseph. Yet she's willing to serve the Lord no matter the cost. Mary was humble. Mary wasn't all about Mary. She was all about God. And folks, we can learn a lot, again, from Mary's response, can't we? We learn here, no matter the calling, no matter the cost, no matter what God's will is for our life, we're to respond in the exact same way, like Mary does here. We're to respond with, God, your will be done. Let it be according to your word. We're not to be all about us. 
We're to be all about God. We learn that from Mary's response. She responds with humility. Notice she also responds with shared worship. Look at verse 39 through 45. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. There are so many great principles here. I love this account that Luke records for us here. Ladies, you want some good examples of women to follow? Guys, you want good examples to follow? These two ladies right here give us great examples of what it means to live for God and live a life that's honoring to Him. First notice, the center of their conversation is Jesus. Their meeting is all about Jesus. Believers, when we meet together, we should talk about Jesus. We should. We should talk about the fact that he is the hope that we have as believers. That should be a regular topic of conversation for us. Listen, if he is important to you, in the least bit, he should come up in conversation. How many of you parents get together to talk about your kids? How many grandparents get together to talk about your grandkids? How many guys get together to talk about sports? Been talking about it this morning, haven't we? How many of you ladies who craft together talk about crafting and quilting? See, we talk about things that are important to us. So if that's the case, Jesus should be a regular topic of conversation, shouldn't he? He is with Mary and Elizabeth. Now, what sparked this conversation centered upon Jesus? Well, look at it again. Look at verses 39 through 42 again. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. So we learn here that after Mary receives this news and she conceives, she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And notice what happens when she enters into this house. We're told when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby in her womb leapt, and the Spirit of God revealed to Elizabeth that Mary was with a special child. Now think about this for just a minute, okay? Who is Elizabeth pregnant with? John the Baptist, right? And what's John's main role? in God's kingdom story. He's the voice crying in the wilderness. He's the one God uses to, he's the one he sends, he's the one he uses to prepare 
people for the Lord and direct people to Jesus. And here you have, in Luke 1, you have him being used by God from the womb. Isn't that amazing? God can use anybody, can he? And he uses this baby from the womb to direct his mother toward Jesus. We're told that he leapt in the womb and the Spirit of God, in response to that action, fills Elizabeth and leads her to praise this child that Mary is pregnant with. Isn't that amazing? And I love Elizabeth's selfless response here. Remember that her child is special as well, right? Talked about that last week. Remember the previous passage we learned that Zechariah saw Gabriel as well. And he's told that their son is going to be special because he will prepare the way for the Lord. But notice here, Elizabeth directs all of her praise toward Mary's son. She says, blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. Do you see the humility of Elizabeth here? Elizabeth is not all about Elizabeth. She's all about Jesus. She looks at Mary and she says, you are blessed because you are going to be the mother of my Lord. It's all about Jesus. Was that not just how John was? Like mother, like son, right? John was the exact same way. Remember John? People were following him. And he points him on toward Jesus. Remember what he says? He says, he must increase, I must decrease. That was John. John, too, was not all about John. He was all about Jesus. And the application here, folks, is very, very simple. Are you all about you or are you all about Jesus? What say you? I don't care how many titles you have by your name, how many trophies you have on your shelf, how many degrees you have on your wall. Your life is not to be centered upon you. It's to be centered upon Him. That's the point. We learn that from Elizabeth and from Mary in this passage. Notice what else she says. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now, you remember what happened to Elizabeth's husband, right? Zechariah, last week. Remember, he's given this promise, and he doubted. Remember, he said, my wife's old. He, he said it a little nicer than that, but that's what he was getting at. How's she going to have this child? You remember what the angel said? He said, okay, Zechariah, let me tell you something. Your wife's still going to have the child, but you're not going to be able to speak. You're going to remain silent and watch this come to pass. Now, Zechariah would have still been mute at the time, and I like to think that he was in earshot of what Elizabeth says to Mary here, but even if he was not, I'm sure he heard about it later. She says, blessed are you, Mary, because you have believed what Gabriel said to you, unlike my husband back in the back. Added that, but could have been what she was getting at. She praises Mary for being a great woman of faith. So we learn here, Mary responds to Gabriel's message by spending time with Elizabeth, and the two of them have a wonderful time of worship together. So Mary, she responds with humility. She responds with shared worship. And third and finally, notice that Mary also responds with a personal time of praise. 
She responds with personal praise. Look at verses 46 through 56. I'm going to read this passage and then I'm going to draw out some key principles from this song that make this song such a wonderful and worshipful Christmas song. Look beginning in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This beautiful, worshipful passage of Scripture has been referred to many as the Magnificat. And that is a Latin word that means glorify, magnify, exalt. This passage is also referred to as as Mary's exaltation, Mary's prayer, Mary's song. In fact, does it say that in the title section of, of your Bible over this passage? Yeah. This is what many call the song. Of Mary, And what I want to do is, I want to look at certain key elements to this song that make this song, I believe, one of the most wonderful and worshipful and glorious Christmas songs in the Bible. First notice, Mary's song is a biblical song. It's a biblical song. This song is filled with Scripture. In this song, you hear references made to Psalm 103, Psalm 22, Psalm 147, Psalm 98, 1 Samuel 1, Job 12. And this should tell us something about Mary, right? Mary knows her Bible. When she praises God in song, His words flow from her mouth. Is this true of you? Do you know God's word to such an extent that when you pray it back to him, when you, when you pray to him, when you sing to him, his, his words just flow from your mouth? It's true of Mary. Author and scholar J.C. Ryle said this about Mary's song. He said, she, Mary, gives expression with her lips to what has been treasured in her heart. And what has been treasured in her heart is God's word. She knows her Bible. We know that she's memorized a lot of it because when it comes time for her to sing God's praises, she simply recites his words back to him. And folks, we we learn a great principle for worship here, right? When you sing songs back to God, the best kind of songs to sing are biblical songs. Biblical songs. You ever been reading through your Bible and you read something that we sing on Sunday morning? Yeah. It's good. That's a good thing. It's good for us to sing the scriptures back to God, and it's good when we pray to pray his word back to him. I heard a story recently about this old seminary professor who used to critique his students' prayers. 
He would call on them to pray. And then he would spend time after they were done praying, critiquing what was, what was biblical and unbiblical about their prayers. It's a pretty tough professor, isn't it? Well, one day he called on this first-year student to pray, and this student was very nervous. He was just jittery, and he got up. He could hardly keep himself from shaking, and he stood up, and he prayed, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, and so on. The student then sat down feeling safe and secure that uh, his prayer was free of critique because he prayed the Lord's Prayer, right? Folks, you can be sure that you will never go wrong when you're praying and singing the Bible back to God. So listen, when you don't have, when you don't have the words to say, listen, Scripture will do. It will. So that's one reason Mary's song is so wonderful and worshipful because it's biblical. Second, Mary's song is a humble song. Look at verse 48 and then look at verses 51 through 52. Mary says, For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Verse 51. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. You see, Mary knows. She's a lowly and unlikely person. Her attitude is not, it's about time you called on me. No, her attitude is, thank you, God, for using even me. She understands. Because God has chosen her, she knows. His desire is to show his strength by using weak and lowly people like herself. That's the way Mary viewed herself. That's what she says here in this, prayer, in this song, in this prayer. Mary knows there's nothing good and desirable in her, which is why in this song she expresses how great God is and how undeserving she is. She expresses the greatness of this gift in spite of who she is. Once again, great principle for worship here, right? Folks, worship is to be a humble expression of God's greatness. That's what worship is. Worship done right acknowledges the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man, and it also expresses the greatness of what God has done for the undeserving, you and me. So Mary's song is a great song because it's a humble song. Third, Mary's song is a great song because it's a grateful song. Mary's song is a grateful song. This entire passage just spills over with gratitude. Mary was so very grateful for this special privilege and calling. And thankfulness is a major emphasis in Scripture. Do you know that thanks to the Lord is given over 130 times in the Bible? Give thanks to the Lord, that command occurs 13 times in the book of Psalms alone. So it's very important that we're grateful when we worship the Lord. And Mary clearly is, which is what makes this song such a great song of praise. So not only is Mary's song a, a biblical song, a humble song, a grateful song, notice also Mary's song is also glorious and God-honoring because it's centered on God's plan. Mary understands that though she plays a key role in God's kingdom work, his plans are much bigger than her. And this is Mary we're talking about, the mother of Jesus. Look at verse 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. You see, this song is not just centered on what God has done for Mary. 
but upon this bigger plan that's been unfolding long before she was around in a work that's going to continue on from generation to generation. Mary understood that there's a much bigger plan that's unfolding, and we need to realize that as well. When we worship the Lord, we have a tendency to just focus on us as if we're the center of God's redemptive plan. Seriously. Our praise should go beyond the work that God's just doing for us. Though we should thank Him for the work He's doing in our lives, we should see ourselves as just a small part of a much bigger story that's unfolding. We need to praise God for the fact that he has done all this incredible work in the past. We need to recall upon those things, thank him for those things, thank him for the work he's done in our life, and then praise him for the work that he's going to continue long after we're gone from here. Listen to what Legan Duncan said concerning this. He said, the Christian life is the healthiest, get this, that is anchored in our understanding that there is something bigger than us. That's so true. The reason why the Christian life is the healthiest when it's focused on the bigger picture is because that keeps us from being centered upon ourselves. Instead, it keeps our focus upon God and what he's doing and what he's fulfilling in the world. And Mary, she, she exemplifies this, doesn't she? I mean, if the mother of Jesus did that, how much more so should we? Think about that. Mary's song is also centered on God's promises. Look at verse 54 and 55. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Here Mary is, is praising God for being true to his promises. You know what? Our God is a dependable God, isn't he? He's faithful not forgetful mary understood this which is why she says what she does here she calls our attention to the fact that god has been faithful to the promises he made long ago look at what she says here as he spoke to our fathers and to abraham and to his offspring forever mary explains here she understands here that God is fulfilling these promises he made long ago, and he's going to fulfill them through her son, Jesus. And that's exactly what God does. We should praise him for that, folks. Believers, we, like Mary, should praise the Lord for all the promises that he has fulfilled for us in Christ and that he will fulfill when Christ returns. One last point here. Not only is Mary's song a wonderful and worshipful song because it's a biblical song, a humble song, a grateful song that's centered upon God's plan and upon his promises, but notice also Mary's song is centered upon God's gospel. What makes this song a wonderful Christmas song is that it's all about the gospel. Mary's song is all about what God has done to save his people. She says, God, my Savior, you have looked down on me in my humble estate. You have shown mercy to me by sending your son. She says later on, you have filled me with good things. 
Mary's song is a gospel-centered song. It, it shows us here the fact that God has shown mercy for the undeserving by sending his son. Like I've said time and time again in here, this is what should be on our minds as well this time of year. Though it's Christmas time and the images we see this time of year are babies and mangers and stables, listen, the cross should be on our minds because we know believers like Mary that the baby that came over 2,000 years ago it came for a reason came for our redemption he came for our redemption Mary though she didn't understand the ins and outs of what all was going to play out just then and there when she sang this beautiful song we, we have the complete story don't we we know Christ was sent to earth to accomplish our salvation and we know he does it by means of a cross and our songs and our praise especially during this time of year should be focused upon that that's why I love songs Christmas songs like hark the herald angels sing listen to this listen to the lyrics here hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king peace on earth and mercy mild God and sinners reconcile that's what Christmas is all about that's what the Christmas story is all about it's about a king coming from heaven to earth for the purpose of reconciling sinners to God that's why he came if you're here this morning and you have yet to experience this salvation that comes through the person and work of Christ and knowing and trusting in him as your Lord and Savior, I pray you make that decision this morning. Listen, this is what Christmas is all about. It's about God the Son leaving the riches of heaven, coming to earth, taking on flesh for us, living a life we can never live, dying in our place, and being raised so that we through him could walk in newness of life. That's the Christmas story.